Grab your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, the sixth book in your warrior manual. The sixth book in your warrior manual. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then Joshua. Last Sunday, we covered the first nine verses of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, and we talked about how God talks with Joshua and gives him two promises and two directives. How many promises did he give? And how many directives did he give? That's right, you are spot on. And the two promises were, I have given you. And the second one was, I am with you. And out of those two promises come two directives. It's a, because I have given you, get up and go, Joshua. Get up and go. It's already, the deal has been closed. The, the, the sign is says sold. It's already yours. And then the second directive comes out of when he says, I am with you. And then he says, uh, Joshua, be strong and courageous. You know, and as I talked about last week, we so often think of that verse and we think of it's like kind of like woman up, man up kind of a thing. And, and yeah, what that's really talking about in the context here is, is no, 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 being strong and courageous comes out of being a man and a woman of the word. That's what the text says. Uh, you're strong and courageous when you're in and you're doing the word. And I just, all of this reminds us that we are on a mission. And, and that's why we are hitting this book. This is such a warriors for Christ, if you will. This is a mission uh, book. And we're not here winging life. We're not here doing our own thing. That shouldn't be that the case. But we're on a get up and a go. Be strong and courageous mission for the Lord warriors for Christ. And that just makes me cause us to ask this as we get started. As you look back at this last week, whose mission were you about? Seriously. As you look back at this last week, was this a, a week about your mission? Or was this a week about the Lord's mission? And I realize every day is a choice. And listen, we can all go back to times that was about a me mission. That was about a me mission. We're all growing and changing. None of us has gotten there, right? We're not that kind of a church where we're all thinking we're like all awesome. Uh, but we're growing and it should be more and more as we look back. It's like that was an increasing week for the Lord's mission. Uh, we're to be mission people and we have a mission manual. Uh, a warrior manual for the Lord. Well, today we're covering verses 10 through 18, and I've entitled this, Mission People Have Seasons of Mission Preparation. Uh, these verses here, 10 through 18, oftentimes get to be verses that kind of just be left. Uh, you just read past, and it's like, okay, good stuff for them, but whatever. Uh, but this is really important for us, and especially as a church. You're not going to hear me a whole lot, but this is a passage to where, where we are at a church and what's taking place over this coming year. This passage preaches to us with what's going on with it. And Harvest 2013 is a mission preparation year for sure for us, and uh, we're going to be getting after it. Well, I want to make mention that, uh, just step aside from that for a second, and there are seasons of preparation, seasons of preparation. I actually like preparation. By nature, I'm a developer. Just by nature, I like strategy. I like planning. I like formulating it. And I like having other people carry it out. Um, <laughs> you know, but I'm a developer, if you will, by nature in that. And, and so if I were to carry that over, um, I would kind of say this. Karen and I are kind of that way as a couple, I would say it this way. We are what would be called VW van hippie travelers. 
And uh, when we're talking about in the context of traveling, I'm not so much a developer. I'm just more like, let's just go, let's just get there, and we'll figure it out. We've kind of always been that way our whole life. And I like that. I don't know, maybe for you that would drive you crazy. But uh, we just like to go and get there. Now, hippie travelers, by the way, this is so my dream mobile. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, so for us, uh, hippie travelers oftentimes are hippie packers. Uh, that means like you just take all the stuff, just throw it in and just go. Um, I'm that way because let's get out of here. That's the objective kind of a thing. But over the years, I've noticed that uh, Karen is kind of leaving the fold on me. And uh, um, she is becoming a little bit more of a, uh, I'll call it a hippie preparation packer. In fact, I've noticed there was this thing years ago that I began to observe that happened before we'd leave on a trip. And Karen turned into clean the house top to bottom mode. Do you know what I'm talking about with that? I, I never saw that in my whole life. And it was like from top to bottom, I'm like, who are you? I mean, she's a clean woman, but it's like, who are you with what's going on with this kind of stuff? And then just the house is clean top to bottom. And then the other is time went along for some of our trips. Uh, she would get online and start doing these, ordering these books like uh, these Rick Steves guidebooks, you know? And I was like, you're leaving the fold. Hippies don't do that. And, uh, and yet, I have to admit, the Lord has been using Karen in my life to help me understand uh, preparation can be a good thing. Because it's nice coming home to a clean home. It's nice coming home to a clean home. And those Rick Steves guidebooks, they have really saved us a few times. And I'm grateful for that. So in this, we are even learning there are seasons. I say, I am learning there are seasons of preparation. Now, that's just for going on a trip here, but we're talking about something much bigger than that. We're talking about being a mission people who are in a season of mission preparation here, and it's okay to do that. It's important to do that. And in the first eight verses of Joshua, we see that God tells Joshua, Joshua, get up and go. The verses we're going to be covering today, 10 through 18, Joshua then tells the leaders, the people, to get up and prepare to go, all right? So we're going to talk about preparation today because it's really important. And here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd actually like for us to read the entire uh, chapter one. And uh, let's do this. Would you stand up? Would you stand up as I read chapter one out of the word of God, okay? Joshua chapter one, starting in verse one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is now dead. Therefore, go, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Remember that last week? It's a perfect verb. It's talking about it's already been done. The sign already says sold. Closing's already happened. Verse four, from the wilderness... And this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. And no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, Joshua, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. How sweet is that? I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. 
Joshua, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, uh, that you may have good success wherever you go. Remember, success, wisdom, that you may be wise wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. Remember that? Mutter audibly. You shall meditate on it day and night, talking to yourself with, about it all the time, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Remember, on the right path, in the sweet spot with the Lord. That's what prosperity is. And then you will have great wisdom. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua then commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, to the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua now says to them, remember the word, Remember the word that Moses, a servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over uh, uh, armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise on the east, in other words. Verse 16. And they answered Joshua. Joshua, all that you have commanded us to do, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Lord God, I pray as we enter into this text that uh, you would show yourself. May we come to know you, understand you, so that we can live for you in an increasingly glorifying way. All to you. All to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and sit down. Well, we start out here, verse 10 and 11. Prepare your provisions. That's what's happening here. Uh, now, we need to talk about some terminology in verses 10 and 11. First of all, Joshua says uh, to the commands the officers of the people. Now, you and I, we normally are thinking military people. Whenever we hear officer, we're thinking maybe policeman, or we're thinking generally military in that reality. But we need to understand what's going on here is most likely he is actually not talking to his military officers. He's actually talking to his administration. 
If you will, these are more management. Uh, The terminology that's used here is most often used in the Old Testament to refer to elders or judges. Judges were kind of the administrative leaders of the day. It wasn't so much talked about as soldiers. So here it's very likely that Joshua is talking, if you will, with his key civilian administration, the leaders of the, of the people out, and he's, and he's giving them a directive. He's telling them to tell everybody something. By the way, this whole passage is so much about leadership and what's happening here. And he's telling these leaders that they are to go to the people and tell them uh, a statement that says here, prepare your provisions. Now, we've talked about the administrators. We've talked about now, now we need to talk about these prepare your provision. In the New International Version, I think it says supplies. And what we generally get the idea out of that is how we think, let me just kind of let you know cultural difference here. We think, go get the van or the moving van or the VW van and load the stuff in it so we can have the materials. But there's something that we completely lose sight of that was totally different in that day. We have the understanding that where we go, if it's even in a military battle, they're going to have food for us. Or we'll just pick up food on the way at Mickey D's or whatever on the way that it's going to be out there. But in this terminology that's actually used here, 95% of the time that the Hebrew words that Joshua used to tell the people on, as far as provisions, in the Old Testament is talking about food, not stuff. I actually think this is really an important thing to give you an idea, not only of a cultural difference, but also of Joshua's mindset. We are going, God has already given. Now, he doesn't say don't bring the Uzi or don't bring your tank. He's not saying that. But in the terminology of it, this has a greater idea of food. In fact, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, way before we had our English translations, they also understood this to talk about food. They use a Greek word referring to food. I think this is so cool because in this idea here, God is telling Joshua, I've already given it to you. Get up and go. And Joshua's like, get the food. Here we go. Now, what's important is the third item here. There's also contained within this, this word, take possession of the land. Do you see that? In the, in the verse, that you're going to go and take possession of the land. Because here we get this idea that maybe he's just told everybody to get the food because we're going to go have a picnic. But what's really happening here is this word for possession carries this idea that it is not going to be a peaceful, benign possessing. It is actually understood the particular word that's being used here has this idea of possession means to take by force to take by force by the idea of displacing somebody. Now, (laughs) then, in the chapter, eight times, the verbal root of give is used here. And God is again and again, he's saying, I'm going to give this to you. God has given as the focus. And he says in verse 11, God is giving you to possess. I love tension in the scripture because we have a hard time with it. And I love that fact because it reminds us who's God. And in this, here's what's going on. Joshua says, go get your food, I think, and your supplies. We are going to go and take by force what God has already given to us. (laughs) Do you kind of like, this doesn't match. Hey, that's okay. That's okay. 
Because God knows exactly what's happening. And I love this idea. We're to be warriors going after, knowing all along God's given. It's God does the work. You know, if you're one who struggles with tensions in the scripture, uh, uh, you need to enjoy it. You need to come to enjoy it. I mean, the Bible talks about the person who has come to Christ has been fully redeemed. You've been forgiven. But yet we still live in a sin-cursed world. Uh, the scriptures talk about how uh, we read last week, Ephesians chapter 2, that uh, the person who has come to Christ has been, has been raised up, has been seated with Christ. But we're still here. Uh, then there's the whole thing, Ephesians chapter 1, that says, in other epistles, uh, talks about this whole idea of you have been chosen, you have been elected. Oh, now here we're having some fun. And then you go to other passages of scripture, like John chapter 1, Romans chapter 10, and you clearly walk away from that going, it says you need to receive Christ. That can't be the two together. It can. But I don't get it. That's okay. Because God said it and God gets it. And what we end up trying to do oftentimes is give a razor blade and cut out sections that I can't grasp. Instead, how about this? Just be blown away by God and mine is way bigger than your and mine. And embrace that. From God's perspective, he did it. From our perspective, we did it. Enjoy the tension. It's okay. And in this passage, we see this thing clearly calling this idea that, listen, my friends, you need to take possession of something that God has already given to you. And that's the call that's being given out. So, it's taken, but given is the trumping reality. Why am I bringing all this up? I'm bringing all this up because one, I think that's what the text is talking about. But two, I've also observed that a lot of times as humans and in church, we get uncomfortable with strategizing as humans. I mean, if God is already going to do what God is going to do, uh, let go and let God. Well, that's just bad terminology. And by the way, the scripture never says that. As we go, God has already gone before. But we are to be going. We're not to be sitting back. Preparing is okay. Preparing and, and wise planning, it's not just a human-centered endeavor that God is not about. We are to go. We are to plan. We are to prepare. It's okay to do that. But we also know that overarching all of that, God is the gracious giver of anything that comes out. Prepare, go, but God. Okay? I think that's a key thing for us. And I'll just say this. 2013 for us as a church is just as such a mission preparation year. I mean, we are, if you will, on our provisions. We don't have the food culture reality that they had. But I'll just give you quick, three quick ones here. Ministry finances. We, like never before, are tracking, watching, and caring for our ministry finances in a way. Because, listen, folks, if we get in a bad financial place, it is going to hurt our ability to have a greater impact. It's important. It's not just human stuff. It's not just business. It's important stuff. Also, ministry facility. We're preparing to move into a facility, Lord willing, at the end of the year. There's been a ton of designing and planning and communication and things going on right now. We continue to work through flow of people and how are we going to do children's check-in and what about lawn care, snow removal, all these kinds of things are going and we're working through and they're important to do that. And I'll say this, facility preaches. 
a facility teaches what you are about and how things look and how things work. And we want to make sure that we understand that our facility is not a holding tank, but our facility is a sending base. And too many have this idea that it's a holding tank, but it's a sending base. So we're working on preparing ourselves for finances and facility, and I'll even just say for foundations. As we're looking through, we are working intensely on whole kinds of leadership design and structure. We're needing more leaders as we come along this year, and you're going to be hearing more about that as we come along this year. And just working with our church and help preparing us to get ready for it, even like I'm doing right now, is strategy and helping us get ready for what's ahead. By the way, I just want to note this. What if in a year from now we have uh, seven, 800 people attending on a weekend? Some get cranked up about that, but maybe you're one who's like, oh, wow, I want us to stay small. I just want to say, listen, the, the call is to go and make disciples. That's the call. And if it's the kind of thing to where it's, I want to stay small, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. But listen, we want to reach the world. We want to have more people traveling to Haiti and St. Vincent Island and Romania. I'd love to see over in Asia. I'd love to see us in South America and having strategic ministry partners for the long term that we can do this kind of stuff. So we are preparing our provisions and we see that's what is happening here. But Joshua doesn't just leave it at preparing for provisions. He goes then and he talks to some other people and this is a conversation about preparing the people. Uh, Look at uh, verse 12. And he says to the Reubenites, don't you want to be those guys? I mean, you're the sandwich guys. You know, the, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua now says to them, this is a different group of people right now that he's having a conversation with. And, and it's not a provision conversation, but it's about having them talk to their people in it. And he begins by saying, hey, listen, tell the people to remember the word. You see that there? Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. Um, uh, I want for just a note uh, by that, write down Numbers 32, Numbers 32. Because you can this week go to that passage and and see exactly what's being talked about here. Let let me summarize it up. In the very beginning of Numbers 32, uh, what happens is the people from Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh, there's 12 tribes of Israel, so these are two and a half of those tribes. They come to Moses, and and they're actually, in fact, let's go ahead and bring up the next slide. Thank you. Uh, The people are camped down where that star is. That's kind of where the people right now, at this point in time, are camped on the east side of the Jordan River. You can see over here this big circle that's on the east side of the Jordan River, they're going to be crossing over, conquering this portion of the west side of the promised land. But what they do is they're cattle people. And you can go with cattle and sheep people. You see that numbers 32. And they go to Moses and they're already camping. All the Israelites are over here and they're camping over here at that time. And they're like, oh my word, Moses, we're cattle and sheep people. This is cattle and sheep land. Can we have this as our inheritance? And so they have this conversation and with that, and Moses responds back to them saying, here's the deal. You can have the east side of the Jordan as your inheritance from the Lord, but you need to cross over the Jordan to the west side and you need to fight for your brothers over here on this side so that they get their inheritance. And then when they get their inheritance, then you can come back and you can have that as your inheritance. And so they're like, we're in. We'll do that. Now look in light of that, look at the text. 
He says, remember the word that Moses, a servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying that the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest, will give you land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over, armed before your brothers, and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers, and as uh, as he has said to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord God is giving them. Then you shall return back on the east side and possess the land that, that you have been uh, given as your inheritance and the land that Moses, the servant of your Lord, gave beyond the Jordan on the sunrise side, the east side. Okay, here's why this is important. Joshua is preparing the people here in just a couple chapters to cross over the Jordan and to begin take possession of the promised land. And here are these people who are on the east side. What are they going to do? And so Joshua knows about this. And Joshua goes to them, as we see in verse 12, and to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he says to them, hey, guys, I want for you to remember your word. Do you remember your word from a time past on how this was going to happen? Why is this important? Because with new major adventures that are about to take place, you need to remember your word. People of their word. And what actually ends up happening in Numbers 32, and now here, they're like, we're in, we're in, we'll do it. We will stay to our word. Uh, the kind of people that God uses as a team are people that remember their word. I just want to ask you, are you a remember your word person? Are you known at work as a person who stays and remembers your word? How about at school? Teens, kids? Are you a person in your family that is known as a person who, who remembers your word and your word means something? Oh, by the way, married couples, do you remember the word that you gave when you got married? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Easy to say then, but what about when that really happens? Are you going to be a man of your word? Are you going to be a woman of your word? Those just aren't cute little statements. Those are covenant commitments that you make. Are you and am I a person of our word? Oh, by the way, let me carry that over even to the Lord. Lord, I've come to understand from the scriptures that I'm a sinner separated from you. And by receiving Christ as my savior, I can enter into a relationship with you now and be redeemed by you. And Lord, I give you my life. Are you going to stay to your word? Or was just that for a moment when it sounded really nice to be able to have something that you wanted? And honestly, it, was it about the Lord or was it just about you at that moment? Remember your word. You can see how important this is. Uh, Joshua prepares the people by helping them remember the word, their word. Secondly, Joshua prepares his people by reminding them of the rest. I mean, reminding them of your rest. In, in the passage, verse 13 and 15, he uses this terminology, hey, we're going to a place of rest. Um, rest. Rest is a central topic in the book of Joshua. We're going to see it definitely later in chapters 21 and 22. It's a key thing, this idea of rest. But we have to understand what rest is talking about here. This is not Disneyland vacation rest. This is not on the golf course forever rest. 
that would be nice in the VW van. But what this is talking about, this rest actually means to be rescued or healed from devastation or trauma. It's to have serenity from prior struggles, to have serenity from your disorientation. But, but, but that has to be taken into this. Let, let me try and use this illustration. Uh, the rest that's being talked about is about the sidelines. You know, sidelines in a football game. What's the sidelines for? Well, the sidelines is there for just everybody just to sit back and eat popcorn and, and have a Coke and just chill out, right? No. The sidelines is the place where strategy, where discussion, where preparations take place. It's also the place to where the person who's in the game playing comes over and is able to get a rest. And they're just like, whoa, because if I stay in there for another play, I'm not going to be at the capacity that I need to be. And to be able to be at full capacity, I need to come over here for a little bit. And actually, the sidelines is a monumental key place on the football field. The sidelines is not a sitting place. The sidelines is the sending place into the game. And there are periods of time where we need that rest. We just need seasons of prep where it's like, let's get our act together in a better way, organized together to be able to be more effective for the Lord. And those are key times. We don't want Andrew Luck in playing both offense and defense. We want him on the sidelines some so that he can get ready and be most effective in the process. And let me say, that's what the promised land is about. The promised land is that sidelines place to be able to be more effective for playing to the world with the gospel. That's what's happening here. And he's reminding him it's a resting place. He helps them remember their word. He helps them remember their resting place. Third, he helps them remember their valor. Look at verse 14. You have the context I was telling you out of Numbers 32. And here it says that all the men of valor are to pass over armed before the brothers. By the way, I, I think, and as I've done some more reading on it, I think the term before is really important. Because I actually think what's going on is, is these guys, they, you know, having the picture on, on the east side, they already had their inheritance of land. When they go over, they're not in the back saving their tails as they go into the war. It, it's actually here there to be on the front. They're the front line going over as they go over before their brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest or that sideline place to your brothers. Then you return back to the possession. And that's what ends up happening. Some 40,000 men from Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh go over. About 97,000 men remain back to protect the women and children on the east side. And then they go over and then they do come back. And I just have to say, that's men of their word. That's men who, who in the front line, go into battle, warriors on the rampage, carrying out what they said they were. That's the kind of men we need, right? That's the kind of men and women that we're looking to have for the Lord, who stay to the word. That's a man, that's a woman of valor. Prepare your provisions. Prepare your people. Prepare them uh, by uh, remembering your word. Prepare them by uh, reminding them of what God has for them. And prepare them by reminding them that, listen, 
This is not for wimps. The call to follow Christ is a warrior call and not a wimp call. Now it's time for the people to respond. This is so cool. This is such a response of unity. I want to tell you, when I've read this, I'm thinking of you. You have just been such a delight and an encouragement. And we just see this response back. And I think there's four things that are stated in here I just want to note for us here. And it includes some real challenge as well. Look at these people. Verse 16, and they answered Joshua. By the way, we don't know who the they is. Is the they the... Verse 10 and 11, officers of the people? Or is the they, the verse 11 through 15, the leaders of the, the Gadites, the Reubenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh? We don't know. But it's one of them or both. So here's what they, how they respond. First, all that you have commanded us to do, Joshua, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. (laughs) Sometimes one of the things going uh, verse by verse through passages of Scripture can get uncomfortable for the guy doing the teaching. Because right at this point in time, this could be where you go, "Uh uh-oh, Doug's going to get on a leadership ego trip here. And uh, he's going to be telling us to obey every word that he says. Uh, Hear me here for a second. I think in the Old Testament, we see such a unique time in redemptive history when it comes to leadership. I mean, you have men like Abraham and Moses and Joshua here. And these are people who have direct communication with the Lord. Uh, Hear me. I haven't heard the Lord's voice ever in my life. I just want for you to know that. So when I look at this, I go, there's some things out of this, but I want for you to know that's not my attitude in this. All right, in this reality, this is a unique time of redemptive history. You're just never going to hear me say, God told me. Uh, one, I think it's just bad theological terminology. Because God does speak from his word, but I would be encouraged you if I ever said that, you need, or someone else says that, you need to be asking, what chapter and verse? Because it comes from the warrior manual. And that gets the idea that there's extracurricular uh, 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 revelation that comes out, but that, I don't think that's the case. Also, I just want to note here, I understand church leadership to be a plurality reality in this day and age where it's a leadership of men that is together and that yet they have unique positions and they have unique inputs and realities, but it's a plurality together thing. And also, leaders only have their authority because it comes from God. It comes from God. It's God's authority. And it's not like puff me up or puff us pastors up or elders up. It's more like a whoa, whoa. God gives authority and God can take it away. And authority is to be had and handled to be able to be a representative for the Lord, for God's people in this. we, We also live in a day, an age where authority, leadership authority is just on the, uh, rampage it's just i'm going to turn it on this way i mean it's more it's just kind of like don't tell me what to do just don't get in my face just don't lead me i'm my own man i'm my own woman and stay out of my way Uh, we don't see that in scripture we are a team leadership is important and today we have there's this innate distrust distrust of what's happening and i want to say we shouldn't be that way 
these guys are, we're with you leaders. We're with you. I uh, just, one of my favorite passages, 1 Samuel 14, 7. Uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer are about to head to have a battle, just the two of them with the Philistines. And as they're going along, all of a sudden, Jonathan in the process asks his armor bearer, hey, are you okay with this? Because it's me and you against a whole bunch of people. And his armor bearer says this, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you heart and soul. I am with you heart and soul. I love that. I want to thank you for being a place that is like that. That is behind leadership and heart and soul in it. I just thank you for that. I think God is honored by that when that happens. And we and I hold that with great uh, a challenge and with care. They state their confidence. Secondly, verse 17, they state their prayer to Joshua. May the Lord be with you. I would just ask this, please pray for your leadership. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders. Pray for your deacons. Pray for your small group leaders. Uh, pray for our wives. Uh, that right there is so much the leadership foundation here at Harvest. And I would ask you to pray for two things. Pray for, what's a, pray for what is ahead of us and pray for what is behind us. Pray for what is ahead of us. Would you just pray that we are men and women that continue to grow passionately in our own walk with the Lord? Because if we aren't, why in the world should we expect anybody else to? Pray for our own walk in the Lord. May the Lord be with us in increasing ways. And also what's ahead of us, just pray that we would be bold and humble and wise and that we would be visionary leaders. I would also ask that you'd pray for what's behind us. <laughs> I've heard it said there are two things behind leaders, backpacks and targets. Uh, there's a backpack because actually there is a weight in leadership that uh, is just huge. I get really uncomfortable talking about this stuff because I'm just kind of a normal guy. But the fact of the matter is there is a weight in leadership that I'm going to just kind of kindly and humbly say that you have no idea of the weight. And the truth of the matter is a lot of times, and I understand why, I've even thought it in the past, that a lot of times as a ministry goes bigger, it's like the leader gets more and more ego. Oh God, I pray that never happens. I'm just going to tell you what, if it wanted to be more comfortable, I'll just say for me, I would be more comfortable staying in a church at 200 to 250. The fact of the matter is, the bigger the ministry, the heavier the backpack. It's the Lord of the Rings weight thing. Uh, secondly, uh, the target. Um, there's a target on our backs that goes on at times and gets shot at at times that you don't know about. And I would just pray that we would endure and we would stand strong and humble and that we would be kind and that we would be willing to take the shots. They state their confidence and they state their prayer. May the Lord be with you. Uh, this is pretty serious here. It ups seriousness. Look at verse 18. Whoever rebels against your commandment, again, this is a unique time in redemptive history, whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Whoa. I just want to say it this way. I think they're stating their seriousness. 
They're stating their seriousness. They understand they are about to endeavor into something that actually the past generation had to die off before this happened. And they are about to enter into something very significant. And this is a time of unity evaluation. This is a time where they sit back and it's like, listen, uh, this is serious stuff. And I'll just say, Harvest, we are entering into some serious critical days in the ministry times ahead. And we need a unified team together. We need a unified team together. One commentator uh, said on this verse that rebellion in the ranks kills the ranks. So kill the rebellion. (laughs) Hard words. Warren Wearsby on this verse says, sometimes the only way a ministry can move forward is by conducting a few funerals. Some of you know about that in church situations in the past. And actually, Wearsby was talking about people actually dying off so that the next generation can take it to a next place. So I want to lovingly, lovingly as I can say, if there are theological or practical or preferential reasons that just you can't get behind what's going on here as a local church, I just want to lovingly two things. It's either time to put that thing to death and jump on board or it's time to go somewhere where you can. And that's okay. We're not a mad about it ministry. That's okay. We love you. We're in this for eternity together. But the fact of the matter is sometimes we need to make some hard decisions about what's going on. And it may need to be for you that it's just time to put a theological or a preferential or practical thing, just time to put it to death for the greater good. I even just want to make mention of that regarding each of us personally. With what the Lord has ahead, Harvest, if there is an attitude or a sin life habit within you, that is holding you back from advancing in your walk with the Lord, it's time to put that to death. It's time to have a Romans 6 funeral over that sin or that attitude or that life-dominating thing. It's time to put it to death. Heavy stuff. Lastly, they state a word. Look at this, very end. To Joshua, Joshua, only be strong and courageous. Love that. The fact of the matter is, is people who want to have impact for the Lord, warriors for the Lord, want leaders who are for the Lord. The Lord is looking for leaders, men and women who are with him. With him. And even God's people want that to be happening. With him kind of people. A mission people that are preparing together. Advancing ahead. Strong and courageous together. Harvest, that's this year. We are at this point in time here this year. Over the years, things move along. You're going to be hearing about things we're going to be needing people to help with. We're going to be informing you on some financial things more than we ever have over this year so that you're kept aware on what's going on, especially with the facility. We are going to be uh, talking about our provisions and we're going to be talking about us as a people. And I want to call us, let's be responding people together. 
encouraging. And I thank you for how much encouragement you give to me. And may we do that in small group. And may we be that together, that kind of a people. Let's be a praying people, a growing people, a giving of our time and our talents and our treasures people, a remembering the word people, a, a people of valor. May we be a people of encouragement. May we be leaders for the Lord, right? The Lord would love that and would love to use that. There's been said that there's four kinds of churches. First is museum church. It's old, beautiful, empty, and sadly very predominant in Europe today. They're showpieces of the past, and they have no vitality in their ancient walls. It's a museum church. Then there's maintenance church. It's doing a little bit better. Its mission is to survive. And to maintain, uh, just to hang in there amongst the changes going on in the world. And it survives by slavish devotion to its creed of, we never did it that way before. It embalms the past to escape the future. And it will soon become a museum church. Then there's ministry church. It pursues genuine Christian ministry but frankly, only to the people within the church. It offers a full calendar of activities and it has a a loving staff administrating all of its full-service programs. It supports a whole host of ministries around the globe that's doing the call to the nation's work that none of them are actually putting their feet to. Evangelism is viewed as bringing people outside into the church facility so that they can hear the gospel and be called to salvation at the building. And that's where disciples are grown. And they would prefer to stay on the east side of the Jordan and not traverse across into new territory. And the church building is a centerpiece place. Fourth, there's the mission church. It understands that God's directive is to get up and go and make disciples. And that directive is not other people's duty. It's not just the duty of the staff, but it's their own duty. And it's the duty of that faith family and they own it. And they view... their church building as a sending place, place. Not a centerpiece, place, place. Lord God, I would pray that we would be a mission church for your glory. Lord God, I would pray that you would just blow us away by what you could do here among us and with us. God, I would ask that you would literally just stun us. Show us yourself bigger than we can ever imagine, God. Not because we're great, not because we're awesome, but because you are great and because you are awesome. And Lord, we read a passage like this and frankly, I just want to kind of just like go past it and get to the neat stuff. But this is serious stuff. This is heavy duty stuff, God, because it's your thing, not my thing, not our thing. It's your thing. 
And Lord, may we be passionate about your thing. And may your thing become bigger and bigger and our things become smaller and smaller. And God, would you give us wisdom as we prepare to be that? Lord, you have done an amazing work here. But the pace is picking up. For your glory, not for ours. Lord, we want to be a part of you doing something big among us and with us. Oh God, show us you bigger and bigger and bigger because it is all about you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.